My colleague, Tim O'Connor, a partner in Bain & Company's Boston office, can't recall the last time buy-and-build deals were quite so popular. From 2005, it was under 30% of all deals, and today it's over half of all deals. Mind you, Tim has been consulting in this area for more than 25 years, so this really is anomalous. We found in our experience with these buy-and-builds that some investors are very good at doing them and make a lot of money, but other investors have actually had the opposite experience. We've seen capital impairment situations, and that tells me that there's a right way to do a buy-and-build and a wrong way. You need to believe that you can buy a platform and then buy logical pieces that can be added onto that at a lower multiple. And you also need to believe that there's some synergistic reasons for these pieces to fit together to form one business in the first place. And you need to pressure test every last one of those beliefs before you strike your first deal, because a strategy this complex could go to pieces fast. Today on the show, Tim O'Connor and I will discuss the wrong way and the right way to do a buy and build strategy. I'm Hugh MacArthur, head of Bain's global private equity practice. This is Dry Powder. One of the things I thought would be helpful is to pull back the lens and look at some of the macro factors that we analyze in due diligence and buy and builds to figure out what's a good one and how do I determine a good opportunity from a bad opportunity. As we're looking for a good industry, what are the characteristics of a good industry? Uh, It's going to be big. It's going to be very fragmented. It's going to be um, one that's not cyclical. Why is cyclicality important? You know, an example, there was an oil field services distribution deal. The underlying price of oil dramatically impacts whether or not, you know, there's going to be upstream activity that's happening. So you can see your serve market opportunity decline by 75% if the price of oil goes down. You've overpaid for a platform. You're struggling perhaps to even make your interest payments. You actually have no room to make accretive tuck-in acquisitions off the company's balance sheet. So what you're saying is that steady industry growth is what's important because if there are things like business cycles or commodity prices or essentially anything that can drive EBITDA down, it impairs the company's ability to actually execute the strategy. Business cycles, adverse commodity cycles, a offshore competitor that's cratering industry profit pools, anything that takes the base level of earnings of the company down makes it really difficult to execute on a buy and build strategy. The single most active sector in terms of accretive buy and builds has been the retail health sector. Five years ago, there were less than 50 deals. And last year, there was you know, close to 200 deals. An example, uh, veterinary care is pretty non-discretionary regardless of the sort of broader economic cycle. Do you have any pets? I do have pets. I have not only one dog, but 27 chickens. 27 chickens. All right. So you are a customer. Yeah, so we don't take the chickens to the bed. 27 chickens in the car might be a challenge. Yes. But in an economic downturn or in a good time, we're always going to get veterinary care for our dog. And it would seem like the retail health example, that kind of passes the test because a lot of the businesses you're talking about, they're not exciting growers. They grow at kind of 3 to 5%, but the predictability of that business is very, very high in terms of revenues and, and cash flows, which is, which is critical. You also mentioned, Tim, um, fragmentation. How do you think about and assess whether a, a, an industry is fragmented enough for a buy and build strategy? What does that, what does that look like? Yeah, so if, if you're going to pay a platform multiple for a company, you want to be able to sort of understand, are there enough companies that are likely to come for sale? How much could you average down your multiple? And importantly, can the next buyer execute the same strategy 
if those conditions don't exist, you're going to see significant multiple contraction upon sale. Because the next buyer can't buy and continue on the buy and build strategy. Right. So are you really talking about taking something like a decade-long view of consolidation of an industry and how that actually would play out, assuming there are multiple people consolidating the industry? Yeah. So we've always taken, you know, a decade or a 15-year view. Certainly a decade is going to mean, can the next buyer execute that strategy during their hold period? 15 years would suggest when they go to sell it, the buyer that they sell it could execute on that strategy or not. They're going to have to figure out what is their exit multiple going to be. We're talking about an original platform value. What kind of multiple of that am I generally looking to add on over my five-year holding period before I sell? Is there a rule of thumb on that or does it vary? So it varies and varies a lot. And it, it's maybe a little bit counterintuitive. If I'm an industrial company, I might only have to buy my platform for nine or 10 times. Nine or 10 times EBITDA. Nine or 10 times EBITDA. Um, and maybe I make my accretive tuck-ins at six or seven times. And then hopefully there's some synergies and that can become three or four times or something like that. If I'm a retail health asset, the platform values have been bid up from 15 times to as much as 20 times. But you still might have as much as 12, 13 turns of multiple arbitrage. And, you know, I think success begets success. You have some of the you know, smartest people in the world, they're monitoring all the trends that are out there. And what they see is an in industry after industry, the ability to overpay for a platform, but make very accretive tuck-in acquisitions has been a proven strategy to create equity value. Is there a time when it's just too late to get into one of these industries that otherwise might be good for consolidation and buy and build? Yeah. For any industry, you have to think about what are the life events that are going to cost people to sort of sell out. So if, if you think about the veterinary example, if I'm 40 years old, I've had my practice up and running for seven, 10 years. I love pets. I don't want to sell. And so a roll up 20 years ago in the vet business was difficult because there wasn't a supply of practices that many folks wanted to sell. And so the market clearing price was so high that there was no multiple arbitrage in terms of what you paid for the platform, what you had to pay for the tuck-ins. Yep. In 1997, 98, late 90s, we were looking at veterinary center buy and builds as a business, and it failed. And we roll the clock forward 20 years later, and the average vet is now 60 years old, and the supply is actually there. There's a huge cliff of vets that are retiring. This is their only asset in life, and there's a huge supply of assets that are out there for sale. So it was a good idea 20 years ago. There was nothing wrong with it. But without a steady supply of sellers, there's no opportunity to make the investment. Correct. My first buy and build that I looked at was porta-potties. Porta-potties. Yep. And it turns out that many successor generations don't want to follow that into the porta-potty business. So it's not a sticky business. (laughs) I just couldn't get it out. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I can see why that would be a difficult uh, business to pass down from one generation to the next. But so have you ever dissuaded a client from getting into an industry for consolidation by just saying, look, it's it's too late. The demand is already there to meet the supply. So it's it's not the right time for you to get in. Yeah. So you might have 40 percent of the firms in a given industry that are owned by the consolidators. When you work through the deal math, you can see that multiple arbitrage get competed away. Right. And not only over your hold period, 
but then you actually look at how much is left for the next buyer, people are not going to pay a huge premium for the right to make future acquisitions. Okay, so we've got to talk about a couple of things here. One is that the stability of industry earnings is critically important. The second is that there has to be a reasonable amount of fragmentation, not just for the current buyers, but for future buyers and what their investment horizon looks like as well. And we have to be mindful that the competitive intensity may mean that uh, that it's too late to enter an industry, even if it's a good idea, because the early folks that get in tend to make most of the money. And while there's room for other buyers in there, that room in any industry is finite, and you have to know when, when things go adverse. Yeah, absolutely. On the next episode of Dry Powder, Tim and I discuss synergies, real and imagined. The systems don't talk to each other. The customer, he doesn't get the right product. And all of a sudden, you have customers that are leaving. If you'd like to speak with Tim or any of our other Bain partners about your buy and build strategy, email us at drypowder at bain.com. I'm Hugh MacArthur. Thank you for listening.